0: Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell. Uh, here today with uh, Julio Donahue, my fellow producer, and also Rob Pegarero. Pegarero. Pegarero, uh, who's a freelance reporter. He used to work for the uh, Washington Post. I know he's done some work for USA Today. Yep. And you're you a full time real life freelancer. Yes. And you're 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 living and making a living at that.
1: Yes. I I slept in my own bed, not underneath the bridge last night.
0: Okay. well, it's possible. It Mm -hmm. is possible. It is possible to do that. Now, you're primarily a technology uh, reporter. Yes. Uh, How did you get into that uh, specialty? Uh,
1: That was it's almost a historical accident. I started The Washington Post as a copy in the newsroom in late 1993. uh, Copy being the gender inclusive form for copy boy. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, running faxes around, sorting mail, answering the phones. And it didn't take me long to figure out that there, there were some opportunities to sell stories various sections in-house, you know, the places that already relied on freelancers if you get to know the editors. And one of those opportunities involved technology where there was starting to be a lot of interest in things like the internet and, at the time, America Online. And there were four or five people of the paper who really knew that stuff. All of them had full-time jobs. So, for instance, when the style section decided they need a weekly feature about interesting things seen online, they basically put out the call to anyone in the newsroom. So here I am, having spent like $300 to put a modem, <laughs> have a modem put into my power book <laughs> that's spring, <laughs> spring of that year. I said, well, I, I can write about the internet thing too. And then the, the paper decided to start a monthly magazine ran run out of the weekend section called Fast Forward. I remember that. That happened at the time when I was filling in on the weekend desk, basically the, being the guy answering phones there. And so I started doing a little, you know, fact-checking, which became contributing game reviews. Eventually became... I sort of, my job transformed into a pretty much full-time editorial assistant there. And, you know, eventually you start writing enough things. They send you to some video game trade show in Los Angeles. And you find you've sort of backed your way into a reporting job in the way that's not supposed to happen.
0: Yeah. And, and actually, at the, when Fast Forward came out, I was a freelance reporter and actually had sold a couple of stories to you guys on Japanese animation because that was my ah, particular yes. uh, specialty at that time. And I've moved on to other more serious things, but less fun.
1: I know manga is kind of, pretty big business.
0: I know manga manga is pretty incredible. If you have ever been to a, um, well, I was going to say Borders, but those those no longer exist. Mm-hmm. But oh, if Christ. you go to uh, uh, Barnes and Nobles, you'll you'll see kids sitting down in the aisles reading manga, manga all the time. So, anyway, that's that's my Japanimation. My I, remember, Japanimation. I remember that story <laughs> I now. I mm-hmm. Yes,
1: I think that was Craig Stoltz's coinage. Craig Stoltz.
0: Yes, that's the that's the that's who I wrote wrote the story for. Anyway,
2: wait, that's not like just a term that people use.
0: Japanimation? Japanimation. Well, let's go off into this cul-de-sac. I, I, so I don't Japanimation the- <laughs> is, uh, is, is, is actually, I think, is sort of a derisive term from uh-huh. the fan, or pardon me, the otaku's point of view. <laughs> that, uh, that That's an Americanization of uh, something that's very serious and, you know— just, <laughs> Japanese culture, and manga has been around for hundreds of years, and it's very steeped in in in. Very Everyone ways. is
1: otaku about something,
0: exactly, and that's that's and otaku means you're a super fan. Mm-hmm. And if you say that in in Japan, it actually has some rather negative connotations. So again, it's an Americanization of adopting a a phrase that we really barely understand. But anyway, about yes. journalism. Back to journalism. <laughs> so, how long now? You were at the free, You were at. Um, uh, the Washington Post for a while, and h- how did you transition from that into your current status? So,
1: yeah, you know, years and years, uh, the technology coverage, the sort of nexus of it, moved from being this monthly magazine that was inserted behind the food section on the last Wednesday of the month. <laughs> yeah a lot. I remember that. Uh, it became a weekly subsection of Weekend, and then the whole thing got moved pretty much intact to the financial section, the business section, around like 97, 98? Maybe um, 99. This is going back a ways. And basically, I edited that for a while, and then they, they sort of shrank the section a little bit, and eventually, they I was able to just transition to becoming a full-time columnist. Uh, if, if, if you can, don't get stuck being a full-time columnist and also editing a whole bunch of stuff. That's a lot of work. And I love being a columnist. That was great work. Then that eventually blogging duties got added on. But then, you know, the paper decided at some point that their priorities were elsewhere. And so they didn't need a full-time technology columnist. And so, you know, I was getting sort of hints and whispers and suggestions. And eventually, you know, these things happen. You get called into a meeting, get handed a severance package. And that's when I talked to the Post Union. If there are any full-time newspaper reporters? You know, talk to the people at your union. You might need their help sometime. And we worked out what I thought was a pretty good deal. And then I thought, okay,
0: now what? And so then now now did you look for other jobs or did you like th- say, I'm going to try to make this as a freelancer?
1: My, my first and least useful bit of advice to somebody in this is is if you can first spend 17 years at a major American paper and, you know, 11 years as their their flagship technology columnist, it's much <laughs> easier <laughs> to look for Put work. The time in. Work will look for you in that case. Which is actually what happened. Uh, there were a couple of queries that got right away. One was from Discovery News, which is a uh, tech and science news site that Discovery Communications runs. Another was from the Consumer Electronics Association, which decided they wanted to experiment with having someone write directly to the consumer on their own site. Oh, nice. And I had these two sort of land in my lap about that same time. I uh, went up to New York for this conference that CEA was running. And happened to get into a conversation with their, their tech columnist. We established that uh, he lives one town away from my mother in suburban northern New Jersey. Uh, and he mentioned we're looking to expand our tech coverage, so I started talking to them. And so at the end of a few months, I had uh, one basically weekly blogging gig for Discovery, one weekly blogging gig for CEA. And then at the end of that year, I started doing this Q&A column I still do for USA Today site. And I thought, okay, you know, with these three things, I have well, – it's actually a pretty good floor of my income. So maybe I don't need to, like, find a real job right away, which is good because I hadn't really – I'd had some conversations here and there with other sites, didn't quite pan out. There was nothing that seemed like I should really set aside everything else. And, And I also thought, you know, after having worked for the same company for 17 years, maybe I should see what it's like.
0: So, so you're you're the boss. You're the you're the sole employee. You're the guy who goes out. CEO,
1: and, chief cook, bottle washer, janitor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very bad janitor, if you've seen my home office.
0: Oh, okay. Well, and I found that when I was a when I was a freelancer, it, it, it's a tough thing to do, and it's a really it's certainly really important to get a regular gig. Right. Um. You, you can find a, a you know at that time you find magazines or websites that that would hire you to write a certain number of columns for a period of time and. You know, that allowed you, you know, when you weren't covering that stuff, it allowed you to uh, be able to go out and find other uh, things to exactly. supplement income.
1: Yeah, so. it was really important for me out of the gate to have these three things where I'm like, okay. And at the time, I was sort of too busy to chase a whole lot of extra business outside of that, but it allowed me to sort of get back into the habit and, you know, everybody's got their own editing routine. You have to, editor management is so important in this line of work. And, you know, I, that I felt like I was rolling down the runway at a pretty good clip, I guess. Okay, so you,
0: you clearly you felt strong enough about your ability to to write and deliver content on a deadline. Yeah. Um, did you have any concerns from the business side of it that you were, you know, again, you're the you're the boss, you're the employee, you're you're gonna you're responsible for everything, and if you stop or something right. happens, then there's no income coming in or there's no content going yeah. out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there was definitely one point, I guess, after I'd been freelancing for about maybe a year and change. You know, CEA, they decided they were going to, you know, try doing direct-to-consumer blogging, and then they had a change in their communications department, and they decided, well, you know, let's let's sort of focus more. You know, our, our member companies have a lot of concerns, you know, the well-placed concerns, I would say, about things like tech patents and whatnot, so maybe we don't need to have the consumer outreach. So that had gone away. The discovery contract got cut back. I'm like, okay, well, hmm, now what? But then I was able to sort of pick up a different tech policy blogging gig. One of the things I do now, uh, there's a uh, much smaller tech trade association called the Computer and Communications Industry Association, CCIA to save my breath from now on. Uh, about a year ago, they, they set up their own policy blog called the Disruptive Competition Project. And so they said if I'd be interested in writing for them about the time as the CEA thing was wrapping up. And that's that's worked out really well because that's a chance to sort of – Get into the weeds a little bit about things like the state of wireless industry competition and how messed up the U.S. market is compared to other countries, tech patents, uh, things like the, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which has made some good things possible and been a real pain in the butt in other ways.
0: Now, is that a business-to-business uh, publication? Or? It's
1: basically it's an interesting experiment, sort of like what CA was trying to do, which is you know put out this blog that is you know written to editorial standards. That you know talks about the issues that you're worried about, and, and it helps. This is a trade association; they were very vocal about opposing uh, what would have been a disastrous acquisition by AT and T of T-Mobile. Which at the time I thought this is stupid. We do not need to have further consolidation in the wireless industry. So you know, if they were, if they if, if say it was some lobby I really disagree with that said we're going to do a you know a policy blog talking about the issues of concern. I'd be worried that there would be some occasion where they'd say, well, you know, you're saying something we totally disagree with, so you need to sell this someplace else. That really hasn't been an issue with these guys.
0: Oh, that's good. Um, so tell me about um, – now, I remember Fast Forward was was very much of a um, sort of a consumer-directed. Yeah. Do, do, are, is what you're doing – are you finding it more going towards uh, – you're writing towards in, an industry audience, or are you still writing consumer uh, It's stuff? kind of a
1: mix of both. You know, the stuff I write for – Disco, as we call it, Disruptive Competition Project for short, that is a little more skewed towards DC policy types. I mean, also because it's not a huge readership, but the idea is there, you know, you want this to be read by people at like uh, groups like Public Knowledge or the Center for Democracy and Technology, people who work on the Hill, who maybe can have some way to affect these issues. Uh, So where I've had to be more entrepreneurial is, you know, where do you review like the the latest hot new gadget, the the Samsung smartwatch that Mm -hmm. nobody wound up buying? So, uh, that's kind of interesting. For a while, I had a good streak going selling reviews to CNNmoney.com. Uh, my, probably my favorite outlet for this sort of thing is a really neat tech culture site called Boing Boing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I am familiar with that. Yeah. They, uh, those guys are great. They have a wonderful contract. Pay rate is good. And, you know, I know they're not going to add mistakes in my copy. Okay.
2: Can I, um, I'm curious about, um, freelance work and like how, in terms of payment, I'm assuming you work that out in advance, whether you get paid by the hour, a flat rate, if you have to do any travel. I mean, how, how much of that do you take in? I guess yeah. I'm looking for for people who are interested in doing this even in, and people who might have a lot of experience. We know there are a lot of people who are leaving right, the news yeah. industry. How they go about negotiating or... What, what they need to be on the lookout for.
1: Yeah, that's a great topic. So pretty much everything I do, it's a sort of set rate for the story. It's pretty rare to have, uh, you know, an exact per word rate. For one thing, it's, you know, I've actually seen variations in the word counts. What? You'll get it's from not
2: the Dickensian era? <laughs> Safari,
1: you know, the back the web browser, and uh, the, the text editing application I use. So for a while, Discovery was was getting paid on that way, and it was actually a lot of time to figure out, okay, wait a minute, how much is this? And so a flat rate you know, you you try to make sure you're gonna wind up writing it about this many cents, or ideally a dollar or word. but we know that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, Travel expenses, pretty rarely, they're not covered all that often. So most of the time, that all winds up on my Schedule C and my taxes. Uh, what I have been able to do a few times this year is have speaking gigs line up at the same time. So for instance, when I was going out to San Francisco to cover Google I.O., their developer conference where they announce a lot of new gadgets and whatnot, Turns out an old friend from the Post was organizing a one-day conference in the city. Monday that week, they wanted to have me on a panel. They were going to cover my airfare. I said, great, but, you know, I don't want to come home on Tuesday. I want to come home on Friday. So that took that plane ticket off the books for me.
0: Yeah, is that, that's the way to be, be yeah. you, that you try to
1: – And that's something uh, I couldn't I, have done as the Post. I might have been able to get them to approve that, but if you work full-time – People get really antsy about that sometimes. Right, right. About yeah. what? Uh, having other people pay for your travel. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, oh yeah. I'm not sure. talking about, say, uh, I don't know, Sony's having some big event in Tokyo and they want to fly you out there. Which right. that's something I still want to, because that's just a little too weird to have the company you are directly covering <laughs> covering your costs so you can write about them.
2: Right.
0: So, I mean, you know, that's you being entrepreneurial. That yeah. if you're going to the Consumer Electronics uh, Fair yeah. and you know that you're going out there on a specific assignment, and you can go to people maybe that you've written for and said, "Hey, I'm going to be out there. I right. could I could interview this company about this product. Would you want Would you want me to do that?" And sort of sell, you know, sell sell your time while you're out there to help supplement what you're doing.
1: Exactly. When I went to CES this January, I did uh, one piece for Discovery. Wrote about it for Disco. Uh, I sold one recap of it to the uh, PBS News Hour site, oh, nice. which w- it was not a great rate, but it was. My mother-in-law is a huge <laughs> PBS fan, so it was worth it for that.
0: It's funny how that that, that works out because I, I was I had been a, um, I had been a, a report a writer or a freelancer for a number of years, and it wasn't until actually I think I sold that story to the, the Washington Post that my parents like sat up and said, "Oh, you're a, public, <laughs> you're a published journalist." I'm like, well, yeah. actually, I've been doing this for a while, but because right. Who the, they've never heard of anything else. It, it's funny that the perceptions people have about what your success is, and what you probably you know you, you may yeah. have written something that you only got you know a fraction of what you normally get. But for them, the the, the name means so much more. Um, you, you know, you're kind of in a unique position as a technology writer, as a journalist, is is uh, is actually watching the technology of journalism change. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's your perception of that since? You started, you know, you were at the Post as a tech reporter, and now you're out there selling stuff and, and covering this industry. How that sort of affected journalism?
1: The the biggest change I've seen, and this has definitely been an upgrade. Newspapers seem to have some kind of abusive relationship with the vendors of their content management systems. <laughs> the, the Post bought a series of awful CMSs, uh, and and they never the first the first two I saw were these I huge, wanna... ugly, dumb terminals. <laughs>
2: I want to make sure, like, I think sometimes people don't – I know we all know what that means, but the content management system would be what you – What you write in. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and it's supposed to handle things like, you know, how do you transfer the story from the writer to the editor to the copy desk? Right. Uh, You know, how do you track revisions? How do you put it in in this edition or, or that one or this zone part of the paper or that one, which are all good and useful things, but at the same time, you're using this thing that looks like the mutant offspring of Microsoft Word and Lotus Notes. Right. (laughs) <laughs> it's horrible. And as a freelancer, I don't deal with that. Um, most of the time, I'm not even writing in someone's CMS. There's a couple of clients I've had where they use WordPress, a really great, simple blogging platform. I, I run my own blog on that. So no yeah. problem. Most of the time, it's just write it in whatever word processor I want, paste it in an email, send it. Mm-hmm. There's one or two places where they have some. Uh, I wrote a piece for this really good iPad publication called The Magazine where they, they use Markdown, this kind of special syntax to add things like links and italicize and footnote and whatever, which is not hard to do. It's just something to learn. But you can do that in any word processor or text editor you use.
0: Is that, is that something that, that's sort of difficult to, to, to keep track of if, if you're selling it to a number of different places as to what the requirements are? do they? Are, are companies usually saying, oh, oh, yeah, we want you to do this. Oh, you're going to need to do XX. X, there's y, only
1: among my current clients, so like there, there's one story. I've done a few pieces for PCMag.com. Well, the the website used to be PC Magazine, mm-hmm. and yeah, they have particular taste in how they want things structured. It's not markdown, but it's sort of like that where you you highlight the text to be linked in like whatever color you want, gray, Right. and then you have the the actual link address in brackets after that. Mm-hmm. But
2: that, that's, when it's only
1: one client who does it that really? way. <laughs> <laughs> maybe their cms is kind of ugly in the yeah, inside i don't, I don't have know, to know. <laughs>
0: oh i when when i was a, a web editor uh, 10, 10 years ten twelve 12 years ago uh, we had a we had a freelancer who had he had he would get wonderful interviews people that you just were surprised that he was able to set up interviews for but he had the, the most rudimentary word processing system and he would send you stuff that was in all caps <sighs> so it's like it, you know it was like it was it was a huge trade off do i do I say, look, you've got to change this, or, or we're just not going to do, or do it, or do I find a way to actually uh, type it all back in? It has to come in. out of his
1: per word rate for the extra to work. Oh. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it could, you know, it, but.
2: I Man, I'm just surprised that PC Mag has people typing, highlighting in gray, and then, yeah. and then you know, having, they, having they, the they link to well. afterwards. And then, and, yeah. you know, I don't
1: have to invoice them twice, so that's all good. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So tell me about your day. Um, Well, tell me about a typical week because probably the day is different.
1: Yeah, it is. Usually, you know, you sort of wake up, check your email. I I try to stay on top of RSS, although since I use a Mac and I used to use Google Reader and I had a really good Mac desktop app called Net Newswire that showed me my feeds. Google killed that. I use Feedly now, but there's still no Mac desktop client that will just have a count of my unread headlines in the doc that I can't miss. So catch up on news, scan Twitter, post something there. Then it sort of – it does sort of vary through the week. Like the USA Today column, it it should be filed on Wednesday. This week it was not. So sorry, editor. Um, it's one or two posts for disco, so that sort of varies. If there's another feature I'm working on, uh, one, of the, one of the side gigs I started doing at the start of this year is a site called Sulia where they're basically trying to curate Twitter in a little bit. And so hmm. they've been – they pay people to write – it's essentially the way I decided to start doing this is they want like say a 700 character post and for that that's like three tweets. There's lots of times I have a thought that is too complex to get across in one. So instead of doing three tweets and getting paid nothing, I do one post there and I, my gig is like 10 posts a week and it's not a huge amount of money, but you know it'll certainly cover like you know one uh, one out of town airfare a month to the to the Bay Area.
0: So are you? Are you actually? It's actually getting published on Twitter. Is that the yeah? The is
1: I write it on their site and it shows up there. It's tweeted out as a sort of the headline of it, and it shows up on my public Facebook page as well.
0: Oh, interesting! Interesting. Um, social media. How does this figure into what yeah. you're doing? Since we're so sort of talking about
1: so that's that's one thing I should have. I was sort of on the ball with this when I was at the post. You know, I I got on Twitter without telling my editors. And <laughs> it's always easier to ask permission than forgiveness than permission. Um. But it took somebody in the PR department to say, you know, you should think about setting up a public Facebook page. And I thought, that's stupid. Who the heck does that? And then I realized the alternative is you get friend requests from readers who are trying to say you're doing a good job. Uh-huh. And you're like, but I don't know you, man. How do I? <laughs> and Open so, yourself up, man. Yeah. And so that's actually worked pretty well to have that as some place where I can, you know, talk about what's going on and share funny links and then when I was getting ready to leave the paper, I thought, well, where do I announce this? Because uh, I didn't want to have to edit the post announcing my departure through the post-CMS. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, well, I should probably have some blog of my own. If nothing else, you know, you want to make sure the first Google result for your name is a site you control, and preferably not something like a Facebook page where you know it's that not – That is
2: an excellent piece of advice. Yeah. I know. I mean I know we both have – But I think if you're going to be really anyone, but definitely a writer, you want the first thing coming up to be.
1: (laughs) I have to credit Dan Gilmore. He used to do the San Jose Mercury News' tech column way back when for that advice. You know, you don't want to be part of some media property that, you know, ads are sold against. So, you know, LinkedIn is great for marketing yourself, for documenting where you've worked. Facebook is good for connecting with fans. Twitter is a great public notebook. But your, your web homepage should be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I picked up uh, – set up a blog on wordpress.com and I really like it. Good, simple CMS. They have a, an ads program that's you know not a whole lot of money, but I'm not writing for free. So how, how
0: often are you updating? there? You-
1: so I decided for a while – after I had a couple of months where I would go like two weeks without a post. And I thought that's lame. And so this is an idea I stole from a really good blog about aviation called The Cranky Flyer. And the guy who does this, Brett Snyder, every Sunday, I think he does a Crank on the Web recap. Here's where I wrote, where I was quoted, you know, where I spoke this week. And I thought, you know, that's good in part because some of the places you write for have really bad search engine visibility. Right. And so if you don't document what you did, you may never be able to find your work again. Mm-hmm. And it's also helpful for saying, you know, like, here is where I spoke on a panel or, or gave a sure. talk about something. And plus, you can also note that, you know, if there's something you learned about this topic afterwards, you know, we had to run a correction. Here's what I screwed up and how that happened. Or, you know, check out the comments. This reader made a good point that I didn't think of.
0: And you're you're linking to all of the content that you you put out there. And so
1: then that leaves one other post a week, which is just kind of whatever's on my mind. Like, I think the post, I, I need to do something for this week. And it'll probably be something about how. The advent of two-day shipping for free through Amazon Prime has not allowed me to get Christmas shopping done any earlier.
0: No. No. But it has made shopping a lot easier. Right. And once those drones start. I was about to say, come on.
2: I can't wait. The drone. The drone.
0: (laughs) I think our podcast needs to get its own drone. Um, A friend of
1: mine from The Post is doing some serious work with drone journalism. Oh, Dan Pacheco. Look him up at Syracuse University. He's done some interesting stuff.
0: In, in what respect? He's, he's actually sending the drones out to shoot crowds, yeah, et cetera, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he like sent
1: one into the carrier dome to uh, get an overview of the, the, the attendance there.
0: Interesting. Wow. We should check him out. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll be interesting. Well, when I saw that it was Bezos who was rolling it out on – I was talking about it on 60 Minutes. I thought that – I think I might even have tweeted out that I said, oh, I guess this means that that's how the the post is going to solve its distribution right. problems. They're going to send drones out every morning to – Send papers it might, might be
1: cheaper just to deliver Amazon packages on those blue shocks. There
0: we go. It might be. It might be. We'll see. We'll see. It's it's all it's all changing. Something we're kind of talking around, but I think is you know just to give this a title is branding. You you brand yeah. yourself. You yep. are you are the Rob Pegarero Well, Re- see Re-
1: the nice thing is if you start typing Re- my last name, Google auto completes it correctly after the first three letters. I think. Oh. So R O B P E G. And it's usually the last six that people screw up when they try to spell it on their own.
0: Or say it. I have, yeah. It gets caught in my mouth. I'm sorry about that. But the fact is that you, you are creating this brand of yourself. Yeah. As, you're the product that you're selling to editors, to readers who want to find out about tech. Yeah. Um, so this is all sort of, a, um, a sort of an all-encompassing approach to how you do this. It involves social media, your blogging, uh, the content that you're writing.
1: My business uh, cards.
0: Your business cards and everything. So, you know what observations can you can you give us about that
1: so first of all that that's something I should have been a little more on the ball at you know even when I was at the paper if you think your job is going fine you know <laughs> you still might have the chance to sell stories on the side so you know have a linkedin page keep it current you know you, your first hint that i was about to have in a work transition would have been if you'd seen my linkedin page in uh, 2011 all of a sudden over overnight it went from being really out of date to being much more current, much more comprehensive.
0: Rob, your, fr- your, your LinkedIn connection, Rob, has We're, updated Where suddenly
1: his, I, you know, his, I had a new uh, picture, resume. looked uh, a whole lot more on the ball. Um, you know, that's saying you should just be make it part of your workflow because it might lead to business. It lets people – you know, it gets around the question of what do you do. Um, And you know, if you're freelancing full-time, that's even more important because mm-hmm. you get that question. You know, Who do you write for? And it right. took me a while to sort of – I have an established routine now. See, so yeah, I do a community column for USHA.com, blah, 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 blah. You know, lead off with the most recognized outlet you write for.
0: Right. And even send a link. Here are some of my most recent yeah. articles. Here's my – here's a thing to my LinkedIn. And people will check. And that's another thing that journalists need to be sort of mindful of is that if you don't think your your sources that you've left messages for aren't Googling you, aren't looking for you online, then then you're you're an right. idiot. Um, that that's what exactly they're doing. Because that's what you do every time somebody posts something that you don't know to your Facebook page. Like, who yeah. is this guy? You right. investigate them. So they're doing the same thing to you. So it's important for you to sort of control that message that goes out there. Yeah, and- Google
1: specifically, That there's a way to sort of claim authorship through Google+. I forget the exact way, but you basically need to have a Google+, account set up, which is kind of unavoidable at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fill out your profile so it includes, you know, links to your Twitter output and everything else. It certainly can't hurt your search engine optimization or SEO. Uh, And Google Plus itself, you know, that can send a decent amount of traffic, not as much as Facebook or Twitter and not as much, you know, the best traffic hits I've gotten have been when some third-party site that covers an issue in a lot of detail points to your work.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen that as well with with stuff that I've – I've gotten and I've noticed that on Google Plus I'll get I'll get alerts for when lately it's it's it, if it's not it's not actually stories that I've written but it's it's stories that have photos that I've taken that have my byline on them that for some reason those are starting to pop up. And I guess I just need to go back into my Google Plus and update it so that, that all that other content gets yeah. in there.
2: I've never really used Google Plus but I was um, my I, I think I,
0: Google's just going to make you. I don't think right. now. Really I mean
2: trust. I know that um, I was discussing with a friend of mine who works at the Chicago Tribune. I, I work at the um, Times Pecune and NOLA.com. They post all my stuff to, to, the, to Google Plus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking to my friend at the Trib and she was like, you should really post your stuff to Google Plus yourself because it, it will help. So I guess I'll be getting on.
1: And the other thing, in all these areas where, you know, if you're posting a link on your Facebook page or Google+, Plus, I'm i am I'm not going to say I'm a fan of comments, but I think they can work. Mm-hmm. And to ignore them, to post and then not hang out on the comments thread is a right. bad idea. Yeah, Because somebody might point out an angle you missed or an error you need to fix. Mm-hmm. It might give you a hint about the next thing you can cover. And I think readers will give you credit for actually showing up right. instead of being like, oh, I'm too good for the comments. You're okay. the...
0: Well, yeah. now engagement is is yeah. really much a part of it, and I've seen people who who are masters of it really just sort of blow up with, you know, the people who follow them. If they see that you're reacting to stuff, yeah. and that you're taking their comments seriously, you know, that you're not. Hopefully, you're not just getting comments yeah. because you just need so to you have a thin you skin. Happy. You
1: need a bit of dry wit when someone's insulting you, and you need to sort of brush them off with a little class.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and facts.
1: and Slightly. A and... little snarky. I mean,
2: my company requires us to interact with people in the comments. Um,
1: <laughs> you will. D- do you get paid extra? That's the big, uh, I, I wish well. I could say the same. There should <laughs> be meters
0: on everything
2: you It's part of my job. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Um, I think it's good to interact with people in the comments. I mean, I struggle sometimes. If you write about certain types of issues, you can get, you know, I would say if you write anything about, I've written a lot about health care recently and so and so there there are people who are saying things that aren't particularly good for the discussion um but but i do think that you get like with people who are like serious like like serious commenters i mean even if they're being pretty nasty i do think you get their attention a little bit more if you talk back to them
0: yeah like engage them yeah yeah, no, yeah. I one of the things I do with the, with the podcast is 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 try to work it into discussions in uh, LinkedIn groups. And uh the one discussion we had um uh, when Len Denny was in here where we talked about um the Obama administration and how it's it's uh, the way it sort of controls its message and understandably if you put Obama in a in a post <laughs> that you're going yeah. to get some very divisive comments back and forth. Some of them got rather nasty, but some of them were, you know, interesting points and, and, you know, I'm all for fostering a conversation where people sort of respect can, can disagree with, with somebody else, but can say, you know, present their side of the argument without just it turning into sn- beyond snark. Just you know, writing
1: about tech policy. It's, it's interesting how that sort of blurs a lot of these distinctions because some of the people I find that have been, Consistently write about a lot of issues in terms of copyright
2: mm-hmm. patents,
1: intellectual property of all sorts on many other domestic issues. I might think they're a little just not on the same wavelength as me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I don't attach the same importance to Benghazi as they might. But. Let's let's talk about internet radio royalties because yeah, I think you both a pretty good uh, solution to that.
0: Yeah, no, just because somebody believes or says something in particular doesn't mean that some aspects of their points yeah. that, aren't, that you're not going to agree with or that contribute to the conversation. So it's it's more a matter of trying to, you know, focus the conversation on on that as 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 as, as the main point. Um, what was I going to ask you? I was going to ask you something.
1: I was going to mention one other thing about branding, business cards. Uh, uh, you know, I. It's kind of surprising how many unnecessary, kind of unmerited compliments I get because I bought uh, mini cards from the site Moo.com. I uh-huh. wish I could say I'm getting a referral from them because these guys are great. The The interface is really simple. They always beat the delivery estimates. And just because you ordered a card that's not in the same size as everyone else's, people are like, oh, wow, where'd you get that? Now, a lot of creative types do order cards through Moo.com. Yeah, Just put a little bit of thought into your business card, even if it's just rounded corners. Or, or you can be like uh, Steve Wozniak, the Apple co-founder. His card is made of metal with the numbers cut out. Well, maybe Steve Wozniak can buy, <laughs> can buy a, I think it's a, a little box of expensive. 500 He's uh, paying more than me.
0: He's probably all platinum. I'm, I'm going to sure. put
2: in a request right now. Yeah. This high paper stock? No. Carbon fiber no, no. business cards. Yeah. That's the next no. thing. No. Well, I would it's imagine. probably because people want to keep his cards when they <laughs> oh, get totally, one from yeah, him no, too. I, like, that's not the sort of oh, thing I'm going to scan that. and then yeah. throw out.
0: No, <laughs> yeah. no. And I would imagine the recommendation would be if you are going to do a different size, go smaller, not larger. You want to, to I can carry in,
1: more cards in my wallet.
0: Exactly. You, here's an 8x10 mm-hmm. yes. business card. Thank you. Um, it, since we're talking sort of about the business end of it and, and you sort of touched on, on taxes, you you? know, how mm. do you, what, what are some of the, the things that you have to deal with? Uh, being uh, the sole operator,
1: so record keeping, which uh-huh. I'm not good at, you know. Uh, the first year, I, I had some really late nights because you know I, I had to hire a tax guy, which meant I'm like, how do you do that? A Friend recommended their uh, their tax preparer. He was willing to work with my schedule, and and yeah, because you have to look at you know anything that's a justifiable business expense. So, for instance, the mileage I drove here that counts. Did I take Metro to some event downtown the other day? I did. That counts. Um, business card orders? That counts. How much business use do you think you got out of your home internet? That counts as well. Your smartphone? Because you sort of need to go out and not harvest these losses but identify these expenses because you're not usually going to get someone else to pay for them. And every everything you can do to line up, you know, that lowers your taxes by that much.
0: Did you form a corporation? Or? Yeah,
1: I, I, so I had a long conversation over lunch with a friend of mine who's freelance for like twenty years, and he said, "Yeah, form an LLC in Virginia. It's a piece of cake. It costs like fifty bucks a year. It doesn't really, you know, I don't think I'm going to get sued, or that if I were, that would be a huge legal bar to going after me. But I think it's a little more professional if you can say, you know, make the check out to my LLC. Um, you know, you want to get a separate employer identification number." So you're not putting your SSN on every single contract and uh, W-2, whatever you fill out. And things – just little things like like I sort of had to guess my work mileage. What you need to do January 1st, write down the mileage on your car so you can then break out your business mileage over the rest of the year, which of course I didn't think I need to do that January 1st, 2011. So I kind of had to guesstimate it. (laughs)
0: Are You sure you want to put that on the record? I'm not I'm sure. sure. No. <laughs> no. Okay, just just saying. Yeah. So um, the the other thing is, um, I know that the we we had a guest in uh, a month or two ago, and she was talking about um, paying freelancers, and and that there are a lot of publications that have really abysmal rates for freelancers. Um, has sort of the the uh, digital landscape sort of paid that whole structure? I mean, can people? I mean, obviously, you're you're a I don't know if you're thriving, but you are You are a working freelance uh, reporter. I mean, is this a viable uh, career for somebody?
1: Yeah. You know, there, there was a lot of talk a couple of years ago about how content farms like Demand Media were paying people 20 bucks for, uh, you know, 300 word post. And it was going to destroy the business model. Well, Demand Media was basically gaming Google and getting a higher rank than they deserved. Google changed their search algorithm Their visibility plummeted, and that's not a big threat. There are lots of places that pay poorly. And, you know, I've written for some not great rates if I think it's going to be good visibility for that story. Uh, Most of the time, I try to stay in the range of like, you know, 25 cents a word is as low as I want to go. I'd like to have have everything be a dollar a word. That's a tall order. I've had a couple of places pay me more than a dollar a word, which is a real delight. But I think 50 cents is not that hard to get at. And that includes lots of places that are, you know, ad supported, you know, mass market publications, not, you know, really high dollar outlets that can still charge a premium. I but I think it is possible. You need to sort of find the right outlets. And beyond that, you mentioned before having regular outlets. If you have your regular clients who you've got a contract or a pretty solid agreement, you're going to do this many things a month, you know, that gives you a nice floor to your income. And then after that, you can maybe write at a lower rate for some place that's going to be better visibility, or do a higher rate contract where there may not be that many people read it, but you know that'll cover the repairs your old house needs that month.
0: Yeah, sometimes with the like the the business to business or associate or association or or uh, um, like things that have a limited um, uh, circulation but are targeted to a specific audience yeah. can actually pay at a higher rate even though not a lot of people are going to see it because they're yeah. they're able to charge a higher rate because they have very specialized uh, coverage. And some people will pay extra for that. Um, but- yeah, I mean,
2: we have in, um, in Louisiana, we have this publication called Law Politics that's like basically three freelancers got together and formed their own little group and set up a website and stuff. And they syndicate in lots of papers there. And publications, oh, good for them. yeah. Um, but they, I kind of asked about their business model because I was like, "How does this work?" You know. And they said, um, "Some of those like associations or niche publications, you know, people want the content enough that they'll pay for it." So, for example, these guys charge like a hundred and forty bucks a year for a subscription for their content, and almost everyone in the legislature and the media, and I'm assuming the lobbyists, yeah. read it. So, you know, yeah, you'd and their be business surprised. their
0: business business magazines or business publications that that are charging thousands of dollars to companies a year because they're providing a coverage of a particular particular right. part of the industry. I have some friends who do, who write for a um, uh, oil industry, gas and oil industry that cover in DC and they, you know,
1: yeah. they charge
0: a hell of a lot of money for for their content, but you know, it, they've been around for for, for decades. So, yeah. I mean, these things have been around. They, I mean, with the transformation that's gone on to media, everybody sort of looks, thinks of what's happened with the big papers. Is that's that's everything? But there's but journalism and in the media are so many different things, and there, there's lots of different opportunities out there that you don't even necessarily think about. Yeah, and you just have to go out there and um, and hunt them down. Now, do you find that being a specialist in something like technology has has helped you?
1: Well, the thing is, there are a lot of technology writers and bloggers and photographers. So th- there's a lot of competition. I think I have a bit of an edge in that, you know, years ago at the Post, I, I realized, you know, somebody needs to write about these issues of tech policy because, you know, why is it you you can't buy your own cable box? That's not because it has to be that way. The rest of the world doesn't operate that way. That's because of decisions made in D.C. and by, you know, various industries. Someone needs to cover these things. And I've sort of stayed at that because I think it's an important topic, and there's not quite as many people in that area. Uh, I think I have the advantage of you know, enough gray hairs. I, I decided my, my sort of – the header image on my blog, which has since shown up on my business cards, and it's my Twitter background as well. It's the uh, at symbol key on a manual typewriter, which I thought was a visual way of saying – I am an older guy who's been writing about the internet for a while. <laughs> so I, I can tell you, yes, I, cannot I remember can write
2: for the News Hour. <laughs> my
1: CoffeeServe user number, but I did have one for quite a few years.
0: Do you, is there a, is there a, a strata in that in, in the tech world that 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 your age is working against you that people not somehow... really I
1: don't think so. I mean, given that you know I am sort of young compared to like you know, Walt Mossberg. I don't want to say he's old. He has gravitas. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Wait in the you know, I'm
1: in my my early forties.
0: okay um, so let me ask you this to uh, so sort of wrap up here. do you, you know what advice do you have to somebody who's who's coming in who's thinking that maybe they want to take a freelance route?
1: I would say you know have some source of income that should be reasonably constant, either it's a good monthly contract you have or maybe it's a day job somewhere else or editing work or something else. So you don't start out the month not knowing where any of your income is going to go.
0: Yeah, or marry somebody, which is what right. I did.
1: Yeah. Oh, exactly. I, I will note, you know, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: our health insurance is through my wife's job. Mm-hmm. I have looked up the rates we'd have uh, under the Affordable Care Act. They're pretty good. So I, I'm pro-Obamacare in that sense. Entrepreneurs should not have to put their, their health at risk just because they're not working for a company that can buy them health insurance.
0: Okay. All right. Well, um, where do you think uh, journalism is going at the at this point?
1: I think you know you have to be you know you don't need to go crazy about worrying about your personal brand all the time. But if you expect other people to do your marketing for you, that's not going to work out too well. You know you need to, even if you're in a full time job, you know you need to be out there talking to readers, trying to make sure your stuff gets read, gets attention, and you know looking for things you can do on the side. I mean, because it's also fun if you have another. Outlet, you can scratch an itch you couldn't normally get at in your in your regular job. Do a different style of writing, maybe shorter form, maybe longer form. Uh, maybe it'll be a chance to do some photography for the story that you couldn't normally do. Pick up new skills, right? Yeah, coding. It's interesting that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, It it is. Well, this has been this has been great. I uh, appreciate you coming in and 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 talking about freelancing. Thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly
2: podcast about the changing state of media.
0: You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or find out more information about It's All Journalism at itsalljournalism.com.
2: We'd like to hear what you have to say. If you have topics that you'd like us to cover or suggestions about who to interview, email us at editor at itsalljournalism.com. Also look for It's All Journalism on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at All Journalism.